weigh the risk versus having a kid in the bubble. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's true. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking I might go yeah. on the quad side versus the dirt bike, though. Well, the quads have the ATVs. Have the, I've more, I flipped and crashed on more ATVs as a kid than I did on my dirt bike. So I did dirt bike as a kid. I didn't race, but we like rode quads. I grew up on, my best friend owned a farm. So we grew up on dirt bikes and quads and horses. And I crashed the quad more than I crashed the dirt bike. Really? I did. Okay. That's good to know. All right. <laughs> We've opened up more questions. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, so we're going to... Welcome to the Clinician Life Podcast. I'm Emma Jack, and I'm joined by my co-host, Daryl Yardley. And together, we're on a mission to help you elevate your practice to new heights. Join us each week as we bring you invaluable insights from some of the world's leading clinicians. From staying ahead of industry trends to crafting your dream career and life, we've got you covered. Get set to unlock your full potential. Here we go. We now know what your tattoo represents. We now know that you've crashed multiple ATVs over the years. Um, and somehow that's led you to the journey of becoming, and I know we can't say expert, but I'm going to do it anyway, an expert in concussion and brain injury, which is super exciting. Mm -hmm. I love it. Very cool. Emma. Yeah, I, I, I know that um, we met in person in June. And it was, it was so exciting to meet you in real life, especially when we meet people from Instagram that we feel like we know, and then to be in real life. But in coming into this interview today, I was kind of like, as much as we chatted all weekend long, I feel like I don't know how you even got into concussion in the first place. Like you are, you know, leading the way in terms of concussion management, you know, through your clinic and, and through your um, online education platform. But what, what led you there in the first place? Um, it was my dad. So when I, and so if you follow on social too, you'll see, I talk a lot about the clinical side of what we need to do with concussion, but I talk a lot about the personal development, the like internal growth, the mindset piece too. Um, and so when I was 17, my dad experienced a brain injury. So he built log homes and a log rolled off the back of the truck and landed on his head. And he was in the, so he had a moderate brain injury, but he was in the hospital for a month. And this was like, oh God, 20 some odd years ago at this point in time. Yeah. Um, and so you definitely didn't rehab brain injuries back then, especially when you looked normal, you sounded normal and you could walk in all these pieces. So no one took the time to explain to my mom what that could impact, how this could impact his life. No one took the time to really explain to my dad how this could impact his life. And definitely no one explained to the 17-year-old daughter and 15-year-old son how this could impact our lives. And it literally turned our lives upside down for three years. I ended up moving out of my parents' house when I was 17 years old because my dad and I just, we couldn't, we no longer got along. He he dealt with a ton of symptoms of like dizziness and headaches and that sort of irritability, short-term memory loss, um, those sorts of things. And so to a stubborn 17 year old girl, I was like, he's a jerk. <laughs> um, but I yeah. ended up leaving, I ended up moving out of my parents' home when I was 17. And 
you know, my parents went through a lot together too. And so I saw, I was the, I was the family of the person having the brain injury. And now when I look back, I'd be like, oh, well, like, no, this is what's going on. But then I didn't know. And so I never actually made the link together until I opened my clinic. Um, So I had always been pulled into neuro. So I also had a cousin who I was really close with who was in a dirt biking accident and became a quadriplegic. Sorry, Daryl. Okay. <laughs> okay. Maybe that, Sorry. maybe that will Sorry impact about your that decision. One. Um, yeah. So he became a quadriplegic with a dirt biking accident. And in talking to him, the people he always talked about that were huge in his path were the therapists. It was mm-hmm. the PTs. It was the yeah. OTs that he would talk about forever. And I was in a point in my own journey where I'd actually dropped out of university. So I went through some traumatic experiences, left UBC and was like, I just need space and to do some self-work and was in this place of like, what am I going to do with my life? Um, And started spending a lot more time with my cousin. And then he was like talking about all the amazing therapists and I'd always loved physiology and the human body. And I was like, I think this might be the way to go. Um, So I did physio and then fell in love with the neuro side of it. So stroke and MS and Parkinson's and spinal cord, obviously. And then when we moved to the island and I opened my clinic, I so I didn't treat concussion at all. Um, but there was an OT in town who had a persistent concussion client. And this was, oh, probably a good seven or eight years now. That was like 2016 is when 2016 is when I opened the clinic. Yeah. 2015 is when I opened the clinic 20, as a mobile. 2016 is when it became a brick and mortar clinic. And so she would have been referred in 2016. And and I've shared this story a ton, but she came in and then because the therapist was like, well, Natasha works with the brain and concussions, the brain. So let's send her to Natasha. And this client walked in my door and I looked at her and I was like brutally honest with her. And I said, I have no idea what to do. I was like, I've never worked with concussion. Like I know it's, and it's concussion is not a stroke. <laughs> um, right. But I looked at her and I said, if you're willing to work with me, I'm willing to learn. And I don't know if it's because she literally had nowhere else to go. <laughs> but she said yes and I like rolled in my I enrolled in my first course that weekend and it was literally the deep dive rabbit hole because a I I like and I could I couldn't link why all of a sudden like I felt such a calling to it like such I always describe it as like a pull and I couldn't describe where it was and then as I started treating more people more people started sharing about the challenges at home and with their partners and their kids and I was like holy shit Sorry, guys. <laughs> like it's okay. <laughs> I was like, we're here. Like, there's just a deeper resonating within me, and that's on it. That was like the catalyst to everything today. Wow! Thank you for sharing that. It's so common that our when we're able to transmute, you know, our own experiences and make them better for somebody going through something similar. How it it does sort of pull us into the work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so cool to hear sort of the background context of, of how you got started and, and pulled here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And Natasha, it's kind of interesting too, because you were so, Emma and I were chatting too about our kind of PT stories early mm-hmm. on as well. And for me, it was all about muscles and anatomy and the brain didn't really work. And I was the first person that put their hand up <laughs> to say I wasn't going into neuro despite what I know now but I'm curious too like did you always know you were going to do some form of neuro going into PT mm-hmm. school as well no so my mentor was actually the physio for the Canucks at the time 
Um, and so I was going into like every, I think every PT person, like I was going into, I was going into athletes. I was going into yeah, yeah, sport yeah. and that was the path <laughs> I was going. Um, and then, and that was like, that was the course for the first year and a bit of my physio. And then Libby Swain came. And so she's a mm. neuro PT who's yeah. phenomenal. <clears throat> Libby Swain came to lead a one week so UBC would do these like one week like clinical breakout weeks they'd call it and Libby came to teach for this one week and that woman's hands are magic (laughs) Um, but she always for the one week she taught she brought clients with her um, who shared their stories and shared the changes that that Libby had helped them achieve in their lives and it just like got into my soul and so while we had a break coming up and while most of the class went to Mexico, um, I went and shadowed at Libby's clinic for a week wow. <laughs> and just, like got wrapped up in, in that world of neuro. And I think about it, I think we all have our reasons for why we do what we do, right? Like you both have your stories for why you love working with the populations you love to work with and why you love to coach. And for me, the, the change that I get to play like my small piece into these people's lives like the emails that I get and this I always get choked out when I talk about this because it's like I don't remember the clinical outcomes at all (laughs) but like I remember the emails of the client who told me like she was pregnant and she didn't think she'd ever be able to have a family because of how incapacitated her concussion made her and now she could or the like big rig driver who he never thought he'd get back to work and sent me an email with literally him beaming beside this brand new big rig truck and was like thank you right like the mom who can go play with her three-year-old kid again or the person who I literally just saw who sent me an email last night and had me in freaking tears because she was just like I felt so removed and disconnected and dissociated from my body like I've been watching the world as an outsider And for the first time in six years, I feel like I'm in my own body again. And I'm aware of my world around me. Like, thank you for showing me what life can be like again. Mm. Like, those are the things that, yeah, my dad got me in. Like, that's my dad is what my initial thing. But like, those gifts that I get to have with my clients, that's what spurs concussion nerds. That's what spurs the speaking. That's what spurs all these other things. And this bigger mission I have of really globally changing the conversation and culture we have around concussion is because of these moments we get to create with our clients. Mm, So, so amazing. I got goosebumps as you were chatting there. (laughs) So good. Um, And you speak to how now, yes, you, I mean, you have your clinical practice and you are, you know, a treating clinician, but you also have these other sort of spokes of your of your wheel um, in terms of concussion. And first, I think it would just be valuable for people to hear, you know, a bit more about concussion nerds and, yeah. and what you're doing there. Um, yeah, let's start with that. Yeah. So concussion nerds is my like other baby that I like wake up and love to deal with, do, deal with. Do. <laughs> Sometimes we're dealing with our children. Um, so nerds, is a, it's a six month clinical mentorship program and it literally meant to help people work with persistent concussion specifically. Um, there's a lot of good programs out there that train in the acute space of concussion. And they're, I'm just going to blow say there's not a lot of great programs that help guide clients, clinicians, and how to really confidently and successfully work with persistent clients. Um, and I say that because my clients fly to come work with me from all over Canada and the U S 
And the reason they fly to work with me is because they can't find care in their area. Mm. And so they've exhausted everything and they're still struggling. So then they come to good old little Nanaimo, BC (laughs) for rehab. There's worse places to end up. (laughs) Beautiful. It is beautiful. And I love when they also cold plunge when they come Then it just like, (laughs) Um, but it was this realization one day of, I am one person and I love working clinically with my clients, but if I want to truly make impact on this world so people don't have to fly and see me, then the next piece would be empowering and giving clinicians the skills to be able to do what I do. Yeah. Um, And so that kind of birthed concussion nerds. And it was this piece of, do I want it to be just like a weekend program? Do I want it to be just a program? And I think when I step back to look at what was that point in my own career and my own clinical training that truly was my catalyst that like was the rocket fuel to like where we are today and it's when I actually had my mentor and we all know this but like for some reason in the PT world this gets lost I feel like and the power and the importance of having a mentor in our growth and so nerds is built out in kind of a three-part extension so it's a six-month clinical mentorship program where they do have a self-paced core curriculum And that core curriculum is very much to teach them the multi-systems approach of the neurophysiology assessment and treatment. We are integrated human beings. We have muscles and brains and they (laughs) need to talk and work together. So how do we integrate and how do we assess that? That is what the core curriculum is designed to make them experts in. Um, And then obviously all the resources to go with that. Then there's the clinical mentorship piece. So that is that we do live calls with me every month. So that's Q&A calls. It's clinical case workshopping calls where I tell them to like pull out your brain diagrams guys and let's like we map things out and really talk about those connections so how can you have a very individualized approach I hate cookie cutter treatment plans mm-hmm. so how can we have a very individualized approach to treatment care and then we have our community so we have a private community we're multidisciplinary in nature um, which is amazing like it's so yeah. powerful Um, So it's like fostering that collaboration where people can pose clinical questions. We like, we celebrate life wins, we celebrate clinical wins. um, And it's just this beautiful, all encompassing program. And then we have nerds that continue on into our lifetime concussion nerds membership as well. So it's really turning into something beautiful. The, the offshoot was that the nerds, which I didn't expect is that the nerds were feeling so great and instilling that confidence that then they started creating programs for people with concussion. And then I started getting business questions. <laughs> so now there's so now there's a business mentorship call in concussion nerds as well once a month because I it was created as a clinical program, but there was enough business questions coming in that I was like, okay, we're just gonna have one call a month. That's that's its focus so that we're not taking away from the clinical component of what this program is. So I love it. Amazing. Amazing. So cool. And I love how you just casually call them the nerds when they join (laughs) when they join the nerds program they all get sent their own pair of nerd glasses yes (laughs) they all get mailed the black glasses with the white tape in their welcome package to the program because i love such good it's such good marketing branding (laughs) do they wear them during the calls um if they have them sometimes they'll be like hey guys Let's like pull out your nerd glasses and like yeah. let's pop them on. So we have a we have a, an event, an in-person event coming up um in April. So we're doing a two-day like clinical and business mentorship event. Um, we're 100 percent getting a picture with all of us in our nerd glasses, mm-hmm. like without question. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. 
It's and it's that that's typically always like when you think about Clank Accelerator in our CBS event, like our Clank Boss Summit, there's always like whatever the theme is, you can't leave without a photo, right? Yeah. So so if you are a nerd and you're listening to this, you better bring your glasses. Yeah. One, the reason I asked that too, though, is with it being online, you like you know how distracting it is online. So I had actually like really encouraged me, like when you have those glasses on, like that's your sole focus during that hour, right? Because there's so much power in that hour mm-hmm. that, you know, you really need to be all in. Otherwise, yeah. you're just going to walk away with a little tidbit or two, right? Um the thing that I'm actually really curious of though with your practice specifically, Natasha, is is twofold. I want to talk about, you know, your sort of integration of tech and your lack of fear of tech, right? Because mm-hmm. I always think when you start to think about technology, it's like very gizmo-based. And there's sort of been this push, I think, in a lot of our private practice world that, you know, any form of tech modalities is all we don't have time for it. And mm-hmm. it means that we're not good clinicians anymore. Whereas we're moving into a true tech era where if we're not really aware of tech, AI, virtual, you know, VR, and how we embrace that to become even more powerful as practitioners, we're going to get left behind. So with you and Symphony, like your clinical practice in your business, what when did you make the decision to really explore tech as a benefit and how do you continue to stay evolved with your integration of tech in practice? Yeah. So I will say, too, so obviously there is a lot of tech in my clinic. Um, we use tech in both assessment. We use it in treatment. We use it in monitoring. Um, that being said, concussion nerds is taught assuming people don't have tech because of this exact conversation. A, tech is an investment. And B, you have to, to me, it's like, you have to be knowing that this is an avenue you want to go down. Um, and so you need to be, as a clinic owner, you want to be, need to be willing to make that investment, but, or I should say, and we still need to be able to do things without tech as well. So to me, it started being when I was, so I would, I get the complex clients, right? So when I get the acute concussion, it's like, it's super fun being <laughs> I don't get, I like, I get my hockey boys and like, they're super fun. Cause they're like good to go in a few weeks and it's great. Um, but most of my clients that come to me are complex. They've been on this concussion recovery journey for years. And while I can see certain things at bedside, I can't see everything. And so for me, tech is a complementary tool to what we do. It does not replace our brains, it does not replace our analytical ability, but it is a complement. And so it helps me, it also creates a window to see deeper into my client's neurology. So in assessment, for example, we use, so clients come in and so we use something called pupillometry, which lets us look at the pupil's response to light and how fast it actually constricts and dilates. There's no way I can count that with the naked eye. Like what percentage, how long does it take for the pupil to be 75% dilated after it's been exposed to a flash of 15 seconds of light? (laughs) However, that does tell me something about the autonomic nervous system. And for concussion, we know the autonomic nervous system is a subtype of it. And so I want that objective information because that objective information is going to help me know if my treatment's being effective. Right. So it gives me a deeper insight into also finding some of those challenges and some of that dysfunction our clients are having. And so I added a piece at a time. (laughs) Um, Smart. And there was, 
And now when I look at adding, cause I'm constantly looking at what next, like, what am I going to bring in next? It's that piece of today. It's like, do I need help with a deeper window into the system as an assessment piece? And is it going to tell me something different than the tech that I already have? Or is it just cool? (laughs) (laughs) And then the other piece is, is that assessed? And so say it does tell me something different. Is that new piece of assessment data, is it actually going to change how I treat? So there's a really cool piece of tech out there that's awesome. um, That looks at like capturing the P300 wave of like processing of the brain and this like super awesome stuff except that I have other tools that show me how parts of the brain are processing too. So it's probably not going to change how I treat a ton. And it's a $25,000 piece of equipment, but I'm like, you know what? It's cool. It provides really pretty pictures. It is another objective data of global brain function, but it's not going to overly impact what I'm doing because I have other tools that are giving me similar information. Mm. And so I think when we start adding technology to our clinic, A, it's thinking of it, it's not a, it's not a competitor. It lets us complement what we do and can actually enhance our ability to create really amazing treatment plans too. But it's that piece of what is it going to add? And then what am I looking for in terms of my practice? Like, what do I want to see deeper? And so for me, I always want to see eye movement deeper because that tells me so much about brain function that like my next piece of equipment will be a VNG. And so, but it's again, so it's that piece of it. So I literally added one piece at a time when I was ready to explore an area deeper. And then financially, there's a piece of it too. So for the people who do concussion, I'm always like, if you don't have a pair of vestibular first goggles, that is your first piece of technology you go by. Mm. I was just going to ask you that. What's what's your your first? (laughs) That's the first one. (laughs) Yeah, because seeing the eyes in the dark with concussion is critical, mm. and it is the first. It's, so that's always, and it's like they're like what twenty five hundred dollars. So I was like, that is your first piece of tech if you want to treat concussion and you want to start investing in tech. Vestibular first goggles is your first step, and then I have like an order of which I would bring things in based on investment and the ability for it to serve assessment and treatment and all these other pieces. Mm-hmm. Mm. I like you your... mentioned. Oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. <laughs> you you mentioned sort of this gap between acute concussion and sort of this chronic stuff. And do you feel like it is that assessment piece and being able to use various tech modalities and knowledge of you know what for that particular client maybe needs to be worked on? Is that tech kind of the gap there? Is that a piece Not, of it? Yes and no. Um, a lot of the gap is truly, I think, the lack of knowledge of how the systems integrate and the okay. lack of knowledge of how to assess each of the systems. Um, because we just don't get taught to the level that we do it in clinic. We do not get taught that yeah. in physio school at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I have clinicians who are in NERDS who have come and done work with me and are implementing the NERDS assessment that does not involve tech. It involves a couple pieces of tech. It's pupillometry because it's an app and like one other thing that they can easily bring into their clinic. And they're already getting better results because they can already, when they actually understand how to see, do the different tests for the different systems, understand how those systems integrate together to know how to stack their treatment better, they're already getting bigger outcomes. Okay. 
the really like persistent ones, then it's like tech absolutely gives me that much more because now it's like, there's a reason that this isn't working still. And tech gives me an even deeper window into, to see more closely. Like I can see smaller eye movements. I can see asymmetries and how one eye is tracking for the other. And then I'm going to treat that differently, but to see that with the naked eye is, is hard to do. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Natasha, one of the things I'm curious of, and since you have that business component to your course as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, with you seeing what you see across the country, most of the time it's concussions a bolt on into an orthopedic practice, right? So coming into, you know, concussion courses, I think we see a lot of clinicians get good support from that. We'll, we'll go, I think we'll go a little bit deeper in the rabbit hole of what's good versus what's not good, but let's stay on the the discussion on this, like that small investment, $2,500. But what do you tell clinicians that, you know, need to approach their clinic owner to justify the cost of that? It seems simple. Totally get it. But at the end of the day, (laughs) is it, is, am I going to see an ROI in that? And how do I know I'm going to see an ROI? Like, so what, what advice Mm -hmm. do you have for individuals that want to come in and approach us to say, I need you to buy this for me. And this Natasha Welsh, is great. And she's got a list of $25,000 equipment that she's going to suggest that I also put into this clinic. But let's just start with the VR side, or sorry, the goggles. You know what's funny is this conversation has absolutely been had and been had recently. Yeah. Um, I probably had it in boot camp with one of them. Oh, you probably did too. Um, So I think it's coming back to you as we need to be able to demonstrate why this is going to impact our treatment plan and how that is going to impact from like when we put our business hats on, how is that going to impact the revenue generated and our return on investment? Like, what does that look like for us? Um, So I do think it is a, a piece of too, when you're looking at the clinic, do you want to be a concussion clinic that are, you are referred to for concussion because this is, you are spending focused, dedicated time. Or are you a clinic that just says, yeah, and we treat concussion mm-hmm. and it's the tack on. So if you're a tack on clinic because it's an extra revenue stream and you see a bunch of car accidents and they also have concussions because they almost because that, then, and you don't actually have a clinician or clinicians who are invested in growing in this area, you're probably going to be less likely to want to invest in it. And so I think from a clinician perspective, you also, you need to be able to demonstrate to the clinic owner that this is something you're passionate about. This is something that you actually want to be able to focus your practice in within the context of this team that they're part of. And then in terms of, I always say, I've never had to pay for marketing for my clinic ever. And it's because of the outcomes that we have. Right, word of mouth. We all know word of mouth marketing is the best thing you can do. Absolutely. Um, and when your clients start getting these changes, and when you're and you guys hear me talk all the time about like when your clients feel feel heard, when they feel safe, when you can show them things and demonstrate things back to them, that's like this is why you're feeling what you're feeling. That validation piece, it's huge. And the goggles at that twenty five thousand dollar investment, a are going to give insight in for that clinician, better insight into the vestibular system. They're going to give better insight into the spatial awareness system. It's not actually a system itself, but spatial awareness. Mm-hmm. And they're going to give better insight into brainstem and cerebellar function if the clinician knows how to use them. Mm-hmm. That then is going to better drive their treatment to get better outcomes faster, to get greater word of mouth, to get more clients through your door. 
And so that piece of tech, that one piece of tech is going to open your clinician's ability to provide a better treatment approach for better change faster for your clients. Mm -hmm. I'm sold. I'm sold. Yeah. So they're 2,500, <laughs> 2, right? 25 USD. Okay. Yeah. Cause you said 25,000. I was like, okay. Oh no. Okay. Yeah. So the VN, so the system I that, want that now is 25,000. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. a ladder. It's a ladder. Yeah. Take off a zero. We'll Take off a zero. Um, but he, and here's the thing that I think is so important, right? Is just that, that dedication that you want to do this, right? I think is the key thing. Because one of my biggest challenges, and I'm going to go into this rabbit hole on this, because I've seen in the pelvic health space, it's mm -hmm. sexy, it's a shiny object, and I want to do it, right? But my question is, is do you really want to invest in the development of this program? I'm willing to invest in the development of this program, but you really have to want to go to do it. Because it's not just like, I kind of wanted to see that, you know, that kid that got a concussion at hockey, like, we're going to take the full spectrum. And one of the things that I've had these conversations with Carolyn and Dyke and a lot is that you really have to want to do pelvic health if you're going to bring it into an orthopedic practice, because we don't have the luxury of finding a concussion only practice like what, you know, the beautiful program you built at Symphony doesn't really exist all across the country, which is why I'm really excited that you've built this program to mentor, coach and level up other practices across the country. Mm -hmm. But the reality is, is I also don't like the fact that I do hear someone has concussion, it's a tag on, and I've talked to many physicians that are like, it's not anything different than what a regular PT would do, which also minimizes mm -hmm. the great work that PTs are doing out there, right? Yeah. So how, what kind of advice do you have for people to not just create tag on programs, but like what do you coach people on to really get the interest from, or the support, let's say from a private practice owner to really start thinking about the evolution of a program or a service, not just a tag on revenue line. Yeah. And I think that's the key piece. So my, my program is, it's not a cheap investment, right? It's an investment. Um, and I taught when I talk to people who want to do it, that is what I say, like this program is not for you. If this is just something you want to dabble in, mm -hmm. it's not um, because it requires time and it requires dedication and it requires, like, I always say it's for the heart centered clinician. Um, yeah. The come from is so important, right? Like the, where you're it's, if it's, this is going to help my bottom line, you're probably not going to go as deep. And mm -hmm. you're not going to like the way I teach and talk to you, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm mm -hmm. serving from a place of total heart. And so I think when it comes to being a tag on versus creating a program, it, it really does go back to a kind of what we talked about of like, as a clinician, you need to want to, there needs to be a why that's not just, this is fancy and is going to make me more money. Like that cannot, money is the byproduct of passion and service right? Money is the byproduct of pouring yourself into something and doing kick-ass work. Money can't be the reason we do something, in my opinion. Yeah, and it never so, works. <laughs> never works out. And so I think when it comes back to, again, create... So what I say to my clinicians, for example, so one of the reasons I opened a clinic was because I wanted to have the autonomy to create programs and try new things. Mm -hmm. um, and I say to my clinicians, I want you to have that autonomy as well. Here's how that works. If there's something that you really want us to try, 
I need to know that you've put time and thought and process into it. So map out a plan and then bring that to me and let's have a discussion about it. And let's talk about what this looks like in terms of what you're going to put in, what this looks like to your current caseload. What does this look like to the clinic? And if we're, if we're adding a discipline or not a discipline, but if we're adding a specialty, how, what thought have you put into in the role you're going to do in, in getting that out to the world? And if my clinician can come to me with like a well thought out plan that then we can work together and it fits, it fits with the theme and the feel of your clinic then for me, I'm willing to try it. I wouldn't be willing to invest in tech right away. They -hmm. would need to show, and then you need to show up and they need to show up and they need to do it and they need to show me they're doing the work. But if they can bring that to me and I can feel that in my, and you can feel that and they can show that they put in the effort, then I think it's very much worth as a clinic owner doing that because, and we all do this with the people, we want leaders within our clinics. We want people showing that passion, that initiation. And if they're willing to do that under the umbrella of what you've already built, because they feel safe and excited to work with you, then imagine the empowerment that's going to continue to give them when you let them birth this program to grow within your already existing family. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and the thing that I like about that too, Natasha, is what you've done is you've put, like, kind of demonstrate to me that you've got some skin in the game in it doesn't necessarily have to be a full entrepreneurial journey, but what you've created though is really that entrepreneur mindset that a lot of young clinicians, especially now, are really like groomed for. And you created a conversation, the resources and the infrastructure to bring it to fruition. And Emma, it kind of goes to what you and I chatted about. I think one of our very first episodes is that you you can't be perfect for everybody, right? You know, the business that you created, but can you bring somebody along the journey to afford them opportunity, as long as it still fits with core values, your core purpose, you know, you guys have a very similar approach of where this could go. And then that creates so much opportunity to not just be making income off of your typical direct one-on-one patient care. Maybe we can start talking about profit sharing opportunities. Like it's one of those things where I think people have to really start to think outside of the box but you, especially in BC, and we're not going to make this all about fee splits in BC because this will just go. Let's sad. not discuss BC's fee splits. But <laughs> the reality is, is that we need to start being creative. And I love that model, right? I have the ability to help you, but we got to do, this is collaborative. It's not just mm-hmm. like, I'm going to just, you know, bend over backwards for you. Like you have to invest in its time, its money, resources, and effort, which I think is really, really impressive. And kudos to you to build that and make that infrastructure and resource known. It's fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's the sole, it's the sole reason I opened my own clinic is to be able to have that. And I wanted to be able to, and of course, like, and that's not everyone's choice, but the option is there for people who Mm -hmm. do want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And so cool to see how not only you're doing that, like you are doing that within your clinic and, you know, um, upskilling your people, but then also, your nerds, it sounds like what was, you know, you teaching clinicians has grown almost another layer where your nerds are teaching other people. And so like the ripple effect of that attitude of like, I'm not going to gatekeep my info and I don't need to be the only one who has this information and who treats 
like just to see how you sort of letting go of ego there and allowing and and sort of passing on so much of your knowledge and information has really up leveled probably at this point thousands thank you <laughs> yeah thank you yeah yeah and natasha i i want to emma's i just made a note too because <laughs> emma has always the last question and it's good but then i always circle back and ask another one so i'm gonna do it first and the one thing i want to summarize a few things that you said and then i i want to hit a really important point that i think you've you do in your teaching right so you talked about the fact that you've identified opportunities outside of direct one-on-one -on -one care to expand your impact mm -hmm. outside of what you can do as an end of one. And this has really been a theme for us, Emma, when you really think about yeah. everyone you brought on to the podcast so far. So that's unbelievable. The other thing too, though, is you've never lost your identity though, as a PT, right? In that process, you've really just considered expanding your reach to help PTs, but also to, you know, what I creep on your social media and you're also identifying the expertise of PT to a lot of disciplines that may not really know what we do, medicine mm -hmm. or rehab alike, which is also really impressive. The other things that you've identified too is the understanding why people are coming to our practices. It's not the concussion, right? The concussion is what we were actually really good at. But the reality is, is that you talked about restoring someone's quality of life, right? They're coming to your clinic because they're motivated to actually get beside that big rig again, right? And I think we lose sight of that. But one of the things that I think is so important is that, you know, when you start to really think what's a personalized plan of care, your cookie cutter shit doesn't work. And when you look actually at a lot of treatment plans, it is cookie cutter. Like I can pull out 10 B treatment plans tomorrow and they all look the same, right? But one thing I noticed, especially with concussion and a lot of your teachings is, we were trained in school to do a lot of our work as a single discipline, right? Mm -hmm. As a PT, yeah. I will do this. Yeah. Without a doubt, this is interdisciplinary care to manage a lot of these cases. What, what do you recommend to people though that may not have that interdisciplinary model in their clinics yet? How do they build those relationships? Because you can't provide personalized care without an interdisciplinary team. With the stuff that you just shared with us, this is complex and complexity mm -hmm. requires a team. What what advice do you have for people on the call now? Network, 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 mm -hmm. and never stop networking. The relationships we can build that then can connect us to someone else to connect us to someone else. We can't work in isolation. And honestly, that is what I love about nerds is we have PTs, Kairos, ATs, massage therapists, acupuncturists, occupational therapists, speech pathologists, naturopaths, all in the program. And so either network by joining a community that is bringing those types of people together who value collaboration and ego gets put aside mm. or like, and find those opportunities to build relationship with others. Because if I have someone kicking it that needs to go to Toronto, I'm like, I reach out to my people and be like, guys, I need an amazing naturopath in Toronto. Who do I go to? Mm -hmm. I don't know, but I have a network of people that when someone else reaches out to me, I can say, I need someone really amazing. This is the other day. I need someone amazing in Holland. Who can I refer to in Holland? Like, and so it is truly about finding those opportunities to build relationships and network. And then and especially in your local community, like 
start reaching out. Honestly, at one point I was looking for, this was before we had our counselor on our, on our team, but I needed a really good trauma counselor to refer people to. And I just started calling counselors. <laughs> I was yeah. like, yeah, do you do trauma care? This is who I am. This is who I work with. I have a client. I need to find someone. And like, again, small town in Nanaimo, it was like, there weren't, these are like, like, there weren't any networking events at the time. It's like, I needed a counselor. So I had to do some groundwork to find a counselor. Mm-hmm. And I think the important piece is too, is recognizing not everything is going to be handed to us on a silver platter. Mm-hmm. And we still need to be willing to do the work. Yeah. yeah. I think that's the difference between commitment to a program versus just building a tag yeah. along service. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And like such a powerful modality that we now have is something like social media. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, when you you think about, I mean, even, even us sitting here today, having this conversation, right. That to me lends itself to the power of social media, but taking it to that next level and making it social and actually connecting and having real conversations and, um, Thank you so much. Uh, you dropped so much wisdom uh, uh, on this podcast today. We always end with one last question. Um, and you had talked about your younger clinician self and your younger self. If you had any advice for her, what would you tell her from where you're sat today? That's a good one. I mean, you always say it with so much grace. <laughs> I'm always like, oh, I'm going to really be able to like speak at the moment. I think it's that. It's... Okay. Can I say a couple things? Please. <laughs> Please. You're allowed to say a couple things to her. Um, number one is I think that some of the best growth we can have actually, and this is I this from now, the best growth we can have as a clinician is to do the work on ourselves. Mm-hmm. Doing my own work around trauma and just like, I always call it like this journey of like deep personal discovery Yeah, has 1000% made me a better clinician. And so not being afraid to go down that path and being okay with not knowing what's going to happen, but trusting and following the journey and investing in myself, but knowing that I don't need to know everything and that doesn't make me a lesser clinician. I think so many times clinicians get, and I see this, and like they get afraid because they don't know the answer. And so then instead of being vulnerable and saying, I don't know, they either do something else or keep a client longer than they should when in truth, nothing makes our clients happier than for us to be vulnerable and say, you know what? I don't know the answer to this. And so embracing that ability to be vulnerable with ourselves and our clients as well. Mm, so good. And, you know, that is something you did on that first day with that first concussion, concussion client you you had. Mm-hmm. Um, so what a lead by example moment. Mm-hmm. Thank and you. Natasha, would you, would you attribute that to your TSN turning point right there? My what? your TSN turning point. Do you remember that? Am I too old? I don't so that was that. like TSN turning point. So that's our hockey world, right? Like, okay, this is what changed the game. Oh, right? yeah. <laughs> so that moment where you had that referral in 2016, mm-hmm. you still think you would have oh, gone down the pathway of concussion if that didn't happen? Or was that the, that was the moment where many would run 
and you embraced it. Yeah, that was 100% the turning point. There you go. I said she opened the rabbit hole and I just dove right down. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so and, good. And I mean, that's sort of the piece that we always say to people too, right? Is, you know, don't, don't say no too quickly out of fear, right? And sometimes what yeah. I think you both said beautifully though was, Sometimes that fear requires your own personal development. And we've always had those conversations where we're so quick to go to professional development. Mm -hmm. And the personal side almost is like you're identifying that weakness again, right? But it we talked about so importantly how that actually becomes your strength, right? Don't let it be your Achilles heel. Let it become your your strength. And look, look where you are today, Natasha. It's impressive. And there's not too many people that I continuously creep on social media, but you are always in the stories. The two of you actually are. And the work we find you both too. We're good. I just like to yeah. uh, the work you're doing is phenomenal. And I'm just still Thank upset you. that I didn't get to hang out with you in Vancouver at, at the meetup. You're on the wrong side of the country. Wrong side of the country. But I promise next event that you are at, Emma will most likely be at too. We're already planning that yeah. event with Emma. She doesn't know that yet, but we'll tell her. We'll no, tell her no, the details does. once it's set. <laughs> okay. But I'm hoping you'll be there as well. So it'll be lots of fun. Looking forward to uh, to chatting with you guys both a lot more in the near future. Love it. Well, thank you so much for having me, you guys. I'm like, this, I love it. And when I saw that you guys had launched this, I was like, I, I'm just going to tell you, I need to come to that. <laughs> yes. yes. We're so glad you did. We're so glad mm-hmm. you did. This has been, yeah. this has been awesome. Thank exactly. you. Exactly. And you'll be back. Trust me. You'll be back. Anytime. And I think we started a new thing too, Emma. I don't know if it's too personal. You can you can message me after, but I think this whole like, do you have a tattoo and what does it represent? That's another good <laughs> opening question, right? It's a like, great way I could, to like, I can tell to you that people. like this is the one you see. I have five. Ah, okay. <laughs> this, is, like, this is the newest and like most beautiful. One. So we'll know how deep people are ready to go based yeah. on which tattoo feel, they uh, tattoo like. Do they show to, you? Yeah, I feel like the other <laughs> four just, like, will probably require alcohol. Those adult drinks that Connor was talking about. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. All right, guys. Well, that was so fun. I enjoyed it. I hope we uh, get to do it again soon. Me too. Have a great day, you guys. Thank yeah. you. You too. Thank see you, Natasha. All right, Emma. Have Bye. a good one. We'll see you next week. And that's all for today. Thanks for tuning into today's episode and joining us on this journey to get smarter in business and life by learning from the top clinicians in the world. Make sure to connect with me on Instagram at Daryl Yardley and be sure to follow my co-host Emma at Press Play Physio to stay connected. And also visit us at clinicianlife.com for more resources, articles, and opportunities to participate in the show. We'd love to have you on to share your expertise and insights with our growing audience. Can't wait to see you next week.